In this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talked to Jason Langstorff about Gatsby and how it's more than just a static site generator. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 115. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Wadden, and today it's my pleasure to be speaking with Jason Langstorff of Gatsby. How's it going, Jason? It's going well. Thanks for having me. Uh, for anyone who's not familiar with you, do you mind just kind of briefly introducing yourself and talking a little bit about what you do? Sure. So um, I am the head of developer relations at Gatsby. Um, I, also, I often joke that my actual job title is human duct tape because I end up doing kind of all sorts of stuff over there, um, which is exactly what I want to be doing. I love a little bit of chaos and and I feel like early stage startups are just the right kind of chaos for me. So, um, but yeah, I work on uh, a lot of community stuff and, uh, you know, docs, demos, I run a weekly live stream, um, podcast, you know, podcast stuff like this and all sorts of fun things. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So the reason I want to have you on the show today is because, um, Gatsby as a tool has been, sort of taking off over the last, you know, little while. And I start, started to see it, seeing it pop up more and more and all sorts of different places. And I haven't actually had the opportunity to really build anything with it yet. So I thought it'd be awesome to sort of um, kind of learn more about it and uh, mm-hmm. get the perspective, you know, that someone like me needs to sort of get excited about the project that I think a lot of people out there who have heard about it, who have seen people talking about it, but maybe don't have the full story, um, you know, would like to better understand so they know where Gatsby might fit into their regular sort of workflows and on the sorts of projects that they work on. So what is sort of like the pitch for Gatsby? Um, I tend to pitch Gatsby as being a shortcut to just start building things. Um, it's similar to create react app in that you run one command and there's a whole site up and running. But in addition to what create react app gives you, Gatsby is also going to come with a routing solution, a server side, a server side rendering solution, um, a plugin ecosystem that allows you to pull data from anywhere, manipulate that data and kind of use it in whatever combination you want. Um, and then what we produce, what we do a static asset build, which means that you're able to um, take that whole site that you've worked on, com- uh, compile it down to static assets, and then once it hits the browser, you're able to rehydrate into a React app, meaning that you get all the dynamism that you would want from a, a React app with the SEO and performance benefits of static assets. Nice. Um, cool. Yeah, so that's slightly more than an elevator pitch, but... <laughs> yeah, awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I, I kind of hear uh, Gatsby sort of talked about as basically like a really modern React-based like static site generator is like one way that I hear people talking about it. But from what I gather, um, it sounds like it's actually a little bit more powerful than that. Like that's kind of like um, almost like a dismissive way of categorizing it in a lot of ways, I think. And and what I'm most curious about actually is when you when you sort of put it under that banner of like, okay, well, it's a static site generator that's sort of powered by React. It makes a lot of sort of the the, the technical choices and tooling involved in Gatsby sound like extreme overkill to someone who doesn't, mm. who isn't totally familiar with it, right? Like GraphQL to like build my static site, like what, what's the deal there? So I'd be curious to know um, from your perspective, like what Gatsby does that makes it so much more than 
what you might be used to with a tool like Jekyll or something like that and where mm-hmm. technologies like GraphQL sort of slot into that and what sort of power and opportunities those create for you. Sure. When you're building a, a site with something like Jekyll or, or you know, other static site generators, I think the, the tendency is to feel like a static site generator means I'm going to write Markdown and then I'm going to define templates and the static site generator part just takes the content from Markdown and inserts it into the template. Mm-hmm. Gatsby does do that. There is a use case where you would just, you know, write Markdown and, and it gets inserted into templates. Where Gatsby goes beyond that traditional, uh, that traditional perception of a static site generator is that we can source content from any backend source. So if you want to pull from the file system like Markdown files, absolutely we can do that. We can also pull from JSON files, YAML files, um, CSVs, whatever you whatever you're interested in, we can we can pull that in and use it. Then we can go further. We can pull from a REST API. We can pull from other GraphQL APIs. We can pull from um, headless CMSs. So we can use WordPress as a data source, or uh, you know some of the the more like the newer the newcomers, the headless CMSs by default, like Sanity.io or mm-hmm. Prismic. Um, and we can use all of those in conjunction. So if you want to build a site that has a blog and an e-commerce store and say like docs for whatever you're, whatever you want to document, you could use Markdown for the docs. You could use WordPress to power the blog and you could use Shopify to power the e-commerce store. And all three of those would get combined together into Gatsby's data layer Mm -hmm. so that it feels the same way to use that data, no matter where it's coming from. Um, So that's kind of where Gatsby starts to really shine is when you're pulling in um, when you're doing anything beyond just like, Oh, I'd like to write some content and have it show up on the internet. Um, we're really good for that use case, but you could make a pretty, pretty reasonable argument that like using GraphQL to show a little bit of text on a page might be a little overkill. Yeah. Um, but yeah, once, as soon as you get beyond that base use case and you're like, well, I want to show my blog, but I also want to pull in like my tweets from Twitter. Well, in a, a Jekyll thing, you're now completely in user land. You got to build that solution on yeah, your own. Yeah, yeah. In Gatsby, you just install Gatsby source Twitter and now you can query your tweets the same way that you would query your blog. Yeah. So um, the idea, so it's, it's a really, I, I guess is like, instead of trying to like roll your own sort of hodgepodge DIY thing for every single data source and piece together this kind of big duct tape thing yourself. The idea with mm-hmm. Gatsby is you have this sort of like unified entry point to all of your data, no matter sort of where it's coming from. And it just can make that developer exactly. experience so much more fluid. Yeah, um, it's, this is something that we call the content mesh. And it's the idea that like as the software as a service has really proliferated over the last years, we've started to see that like there are certain services that are extremely good for certain types of data. Um, you know, if you want to build a business, you probably need multiple types of data. And traditionally, you would have had to choose one platform and then shoehorn the rest of the data into yeah. it. Like, you know, you're like, oh, I want to blog, but I also want to sell things. And then you got to decide, all right, am I going to use Magento and then force Magento to also be a blog? Or am I going to use a blog and find some hacky way to make that blog into an e-commerce store? Yeah. Um, with the content mesh, you don't have to do that. You choose the best e-commerce solution, the best blogging solution, and you stick them together and do it like Gatsby's unified data layer or whatever solution you want. And then you get to just display that content in a way that makes sense for your users. 
And, um, you know, Gatsby's approach has been, well, why don't we just normalize all that data? So whether it comes from, you know, a REST API, the file system, or a GraphQL API, you're able to just pull that all in and use it the same way. Um, and I mean, this has huge developer experience benefits too, because you're, you're also looking at now, like at an agency, in my experience, at least agencies have a tendency to have like specialists for certain things. So you've got your Adobe experience manager specialist, you've got your Drupal specialist, you've got your WordPress specialist. Mm -hmm. And if you have too many projects and your, your, say your AEM team is overloaded, like you just have to turn away those projects or you have to hire contractors to fill that gap. Um, if you're using Gatsby, everyone on your team knows how to use the same platform. So your WordPress team can just transfer over and pick up the overflow from the Drupal team because the way they access the data is exactly the same. And, and Gatsby, you know, feels the same no matter where it comes from. So the portability of projects, the, the portability of, of like team members and talent within a, a broader agency uh, really goes up in this in this kind of model. Awesome. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, something I'd be curious to get into is just sort of some of the kind of technical details behind like what it looks like to actually uh, work with Gatsby. So, you know, we have this sort of like GraphQL sort of data layer. Um, and from my understanding, you basically are using that to, I mean, there's two ways I think someone could like sort of assume that that works. One way is to think, well, you know, in my React code, I'm like making fetch calls to this GraphQL layer to do stuff on the client. But I don't think that's correct. I think the way it works, right, is you're writing some sort of kind of JavaScript code that's sort of part of Gatsby's build process or something that sort of talks to this GraphQL layer to dynamically sort of register with Gatsby. These are the pages you should be creating at these URLs. And these are sort of the chunks of data that kind of go along with each page. Is that kind of how it works or... Um, well, both, both things you described are possible within Gatsby. So, um, the build process, like our, our philosophy with Gatsby is that anything that can be built ahead of time, you should do that because that means that you only have to request something from the server once, and then you can serve it to an unlimited number of people. Um, that cuts down on your DevOps overhead and your, your scaling overhead. Like if you don't need a node server, then you don't have to figure out how to to scale a node server. You're just putting static assets on a CDN and they're going to handle all of that for you. Um, so yeah, the, the, the technical process there is that we have a number of APIs, one of which is, is called create pages. And in that, that API call, you can register a function that just says like, Hey, I want to build a page and it's going to be at this path and it uses this component and it has this like context, which is data that you want to pass into it. Um, and you can do that by, like, you can send off a GraphQL query to Gatsby's data layer. Um, you can just hard code things in there. You can uh, make, if you wanted to, you could make like a, a fetch call to through Axios or something to pull in a, a REST API and then build pages from that. Um, so the, the create page API or the create pages like API hook um, has no restrictions on where data comes from. It's just a way of creating pages using any data that you've got. Um, we give you access to the GraphQL API to make those calls. Um, that is kind of like the, if you've got static data, you want to create pages for products or blog posts or whatever from there, that's probably the easiest way to do it because it just all happens at build time. And again, you know, because you're not running a server, the other benefit too is once you've deployed this, there is no attack vector to user data. 
So if you like build out your products, put them up on the internet and somebody hacks that website, they can't get access to the actual product data. They can only deface the static assets that have been built. Um, so then the other way that you talked about with like dynamically fetching things, you're able to, because it rehydrates into a React app, a really common pattern that we see is we build out all of the static data, but then stuff that needs to be dynamic. So like an e-commerce store, you want to always check inventory and price on load because that may have changed in the last, like, honestly, the last like one second, right? So we'll dynamically build the products themselves, but then we asynchronously load inventory and price to make sure that that's always up to date. Um, and we do that in like our swag store. We do that by wrapping the whole app in an Apollo provider. So at build time, we use Gatsby's data layer to pull in the things that we can build ahead of time. And at runtime, once the app rehydrates, we use Apollo to make asynchronous calls for any data that needs to always be up to date. Um, and they so work really well together. With that approach, are you? is there like a Gatsby provided GraphQL API that you're talking to? Or is it just a separate GraphQL API that you're talking to with Apollo? That's also the, the API that Gatsby was pulling, or sorry, that Gatsby was pulling from when it was doing like the build. The the second thing you said. So Got we it. we have an, uh, an API that we use for um, like the, the Shopify API, for example. We hook in the Shopify API to Gatsby through the Gatsby source um, Shopify, I think it's called. And then... Once we build, we also have Apollo reach out to, um, we have a proxy API because we need to hook together like GitHub and our, our own auth system and all these other, all these other things. But ultimately what we're doing is we're having Apollo reach out to Shopify. And so both of them use the same API. Uh, we have talked about finding a way to make the Gatsby API available for client side stuff, but at the, I mean, the, the whole benefit of using Gatsby is that you don't have to run a server. And as soon totally. as you keep that API available long-term, now you have to run a server. So we, we haven't found a way that we liked to make, to make that possible. Although I did see someone, um, someone in the community did a, like a plugin, I think that would allow you to run your Gatsby data layer as like a long running solution if you wanted to make client side calls to it. Um, but that's, we haven't vetted that or anything, so I, sure, I don't actually know like how it experiment. works. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's it's something that if you wanted to try it, like I'm all for it. I'd love to hear how it goes. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Yeah, that's interesting about like the create pages API. I think um, I think the thing that stands out to me about that that I think is easy to sort of uh, to sort of not notice at first is um, how much more powerful that is than what you might be used to with a regular static site generator, where it's like input files map to like output files and urls mm -hmm. like it sounds like with this create pages api there's no like direct connection between like every file in this folder automatically gets a page created like it sounds like you could easily set things up to work that way but it sounds like you could also just have one json file that spits out 100 pages because you're just parsing in and deciding well this data should go here this data should go here because it's all programmatic and you sort of have complete control over it yeah. So as a convenience, we do look in, um, if you have a source pages directory, we'll take any react component that you put into that pages directory and turn it into a page for you. Um, but that's not a requirement. That's kind of like a convenience layer. So if you want to use that, great. Um, if you would rather build all of your pages programmatically, also great. Um, I've got sites that do both. 
Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is DigitalOcean. So DigitalOcean is a simple, developer-friendly cloud platform optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. Uh, I've personally been a customer of DigitalOcean for about five years, and I use them to host all of my server-side projects, like my custom course platform, for example, which is built with Laravel. A lot of the guests that I've had on the show in the past are DigitalOcean customers as well. Uh, For example, Taylor Otwell, the creator of Laravel, he uses DigitalOcean to host all of his products like Envoyer and Laravel Forge, and Jeffrey Way actually uses DigitalOcean to host Laracast as well. Uh, One of DigitalOcean's newest features that I'm personally really excited about is managed databases, uh, which lets you spin up a completely managed database server so you don't have to worry about anything like backups, uh, managing read-only replicas, or just general server maintenance. Now, DigitalOcean is already an extremely affordable service. You can spin up a server for as little as $5 a month, but they've been kind enough to offer a free $50 credit to Full Stack Radio listeners. So head over to do.co slash full stack, all one word, to claim your $50 credit. And thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode. Back to the show. So something that I'm kind of wondering is... Um, that I think might be good for people to understand and sort of get a better idea of like what are the, what are the really common use cases are for Gatsby, are like what are the most popular types of sites uh, and projects that people build with Gatsby and like what tools might have they been using to build those um, instead before Gatsby. Um, so I think the well, so the the most common is potentially a misleading thing because I think it's also just the most common type of website that gets built. (laughs) Sure. Um, we, we tend to see a lot of like personal blogs and personal portfolios, which I think as, as far as developers go, like those are the first two things that you really build when you get started as a developer, your, your, your personal site. Do you think that's Um, kind of like a function of it? of it being like a a newish technology and like developers want to use it to build something. And like, that's the thing that's that they own that they can make, you know what I mean? To sort of get experience with it before being able to actually maybe start using it at work more often or. Yeah. I think, I think there's a a measure of that. Like I, I want to try this and, and I don't need anyone's permission to rebuild my portfolio. Yeah. Um, I think there's a measure of working on your own site is always, uh, a less risky proposition than, you know, testing something out on a client site. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also just think that like in general, the only site that almost every developer has built is some variation of a blogger portfolio. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I think that's just like, if you, if you were to map like human beings to websites, the, the, the highest amount of overlap, regardless of the technology is going to be some kind of a blog or a portfolio. Um, I, what we've been seeing that I've been really happy with is we've started to see a trend of uh, more kind of advanced, like e-commerce sites coming out. So, um, there is a website that was the first one that I saw which I think was called Cajun bow fishing, <laughs> which um, I didn't realize is a sport. It is totally a sport and it's exactly as wild as it sounds. <laughs> um, but they, that was a company that, uh, that built a Gatsby site that allowed you to buy uh, gear for that sport. Nice. And then um, Flamingo, which is the women's line of razors from Harry's. Okay. Um, they built shopflamingo.com as a Gatsby app. So that is a fully functioning e-commerce site. 
uh, running on Gatsby. Um, we've seen a, a handful of things coming out that way, and it's starting to really prove the model that Gatsby, like the performance gains that you get from using Gatsby, still hold up even when you're using a lot of dynamic data, yeah. um, which we are, we're super excited to see. And so we've been working hard on building more examples and, and proofs of concept to show different patterns and, and get the community kind of geared up with the information they need to build more sites like that. Yeah, that's sweet. So with like something like an e-commerce store where, I mean, like traditionally say you're building it with Magento or something and you've got all your products in a database and each product has like a slug and there's a server mm -hmm. that when you go to some URL that has that product slug in it, it fetches the product from the database and kind of dynamically shows it on the fly. It sounds like that mm -hmm. mental model doesn't really work the same way with Gatsby, right? Am I correct in thinking that if you're building an e-commerce site with Gatsby, the idea is at build time, you're sort of like consuming all the products from like whatever the data source is and statically creating product pages um, for those sort of at build time and that if you added a new product, like you would trigger a redeploy to sort of add the new product. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's correct. Um, I mean the, like the overall workflow and mental model stays fairly intact. Um, the difference is where you draw the line between like the front and back end. Yeah. And I think the, in, in kind of a more traditional like Magento style model, um, when you click a button on the interface, that that button makes a call to a server that then has to do something and then send back a response. And on the um, on the Gatsby side, we've tried to eliminate some of that work and kind of get it done once ahead of time. So, for example, requesting a product, we've already got the assets generated for that. Um, when you've got something like you know making a purchase that still happens that you know that happens with a client side call to a back end server you know magento's back end or shopify's back end sure. or whatever um but the you know the the diagram would look very similar if you were to look at like here's what happens when you look at a magento site versus here's what happens when you look at a gatsby site um the difference is that the the server is required for fewer things than it would be uh on a magento site got it so say that you did need like um, totally dynamic content to sort of like be rendered on the fly, including like dynamic routing. Is that an area mm -hmm. where um, Gatsby is not as good of a fit or are there ways that you can do even that sort of thing with Gatsby? Yeah, we've got a dynamic routing solution in there. Um, you can basically take any, any page that like if you, so let's say you got a dashboard yeah. and that dashboard is going to have sub routes. Mm -hmm. Um, you can register the dashboard route to be dynamic, which means that you have a, like an app Chrome basically that, you know, maybe it's like universal headers and stuff that need to be read, uh, rendered on every dashboard page. Yep. But then the content itself is, um, is just like a reach router. Got uh, it. we use reach router under the hood. So in a Gatsby app, you'd probably want to use reach router, uh, just to eliminate dual dependencies. But, um, so you, you would just kind of have your dashboard page, which would have a reach router implementation on it. That would load all of the sub pages. So slash dashboard, slash account, slash dashboard, slash billing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and those are just, that's just a react app. Like Got Gatsby's it. not going to try to server side render any of that. Um, you're, you're fully in react land at that Got point. It. So you can just sort of fall back to sort of a more traditional SPA sort of client only sort of approach where you're exactly. not going to have like the pre-rendered, server content of course because that's kind of the trade-off that sort of 
comes mm-hmm. with wanting to do like dynamic client side stuff. But Gatsby totally lets you fall back to that client defined sort of routing that just kind of gets picked up by the react layer. And when you go to a page that maybe has like a dynamic portion in the URL, maybe a client API call happens to go get the data needed. Right. So you can totally sort of mix paradigms, I guess, if, if that makes sense for your project. It- Exactly. And like, honestly, when you get to a dashboard, you're probably dealing with user content or something. And so you don't really want to statically build that anyways, because if you're taking somebody's personal info and compiling into a static asset, like it's just, you're just kind of inviting trouble that you don't need. Mm -hmm. So, um, by keeping it client side, then your security, your security risks go down because somebody has to have a token to request that data. Um, as opposed to just needing to figure out how to get the bucket of assets where they could look at everybody's data. Um, so, you know, it's, yeah, but, but really the, the whole goal is like, it's a react app and it's, it's a react app all the way through. So we don't want to take away any of your capability as a developer to do anything that you can do with react. The, um, the major goal here is just, we want to, we want to make the things that are easy to get wrong because they're extraordinarily complex and, and, Honestly, the things that always get cut first when you're under a deadline crunch, like performance tuning and accessibility and, you know, the stuff that's, we all know it's important, but it's kind of like eating vegetables. And, and really when the, when the time crunch comes down, we'll be like, uh, well, maybe we'll do performance tuning on the next sprint. Um, so we want to take all that and automate it so that you just get it for free. Um, but, you know, we don't want that to come with all the trade-offs. We want you to be able to keep doing the things that you do. So like all the React land stuff that you want to do totally works. Awesome. That's really cool. So um, if you were going to do like some sort of like dynamic client side routing stuff, I guess you have to set up something on the server to make sure that it's serving like whatever your root sort of Gatsby entry point sort of file is for any of those like dynamic routes. Yeah. So we do something for this. I'm trying to think what it is. I think, or, or maybe maybe Netlify does something. Like you, you would you would definitely need to make sure, depending on what your hosting solution is, that that is taken care of. Yeah, um, just like a server configuration services, sort of thing. Yeah, and services like Netlify do it for you. Like they they just make that work. So um, in general, you can you can just kind of be like set it and forget it. Uh, you don't have to configure that. You know, my my goal as a, like <laughs> before I was at Gatsby, I was at IBM and we had these problems where, you know, we're looking at, a, I was on a front end developers team, but a huge portion of the front end developers time was spent on wrangling like Kubernetes config files and <laughs> um, configuring Nginx locally on your machine and, and dealing with all of these proxies. And, and it was like, this is not front end development. Like we're having to learn a second career just to get set up enough to do the thing that is our actual career. Um, And so with Gatsby, we're looking at it as like, how do we make sure that's not the case? How do we make sure that if you're a front end developer, you just get to build a front end. You don't have to start dealing with all the like DevOpsy. You you should never have to configure a service locally on your machine to like reroute things. And we just want that to work. Totally. Yeah. So that actually kind of makes me wonder, um, What's the local development story like when you're trying to connect to like all these different data sources that you could be pulling stuff down from? Is Does Gatsby make some of that stuff easier? Like if you're trying to pull something from, you know, a headless uh, CMS, do you have to create like a separate sandbox account there and just pull stuff from the internet? Or is there ways to do it without network access? Or is that sort of just left up to the team to kind of figure out a, an approach that works best for them? 
That tends to come from the source plugin authors. So like a good example of this, we just built an events page on gatsbyjs.org. So mm-hmm. if you're running a community event, we wanted people to be able to submit those and then we wanted to display them. Um, in order to track submissions, we used Airtable. So when you submit it, you're filling out a form that goes into Airtable, which if you're not familiar with Airtable, it's kind of like uh, like a Google spreadsheet, but with extra functionality. Um, so we, we have this Airtable full of community events. And whenever we check the, you know, this is approved and should be shown on gatsbyjs.org boxes, then it triggers a rebuild of the site. And um, we need, like, obviously you need an Airbase API token to access that data. So if you don't have that API token, that's going to be a huge problem. It's going to make local development terrible. So what we did to fix that is um, we used a new API called for schema customization, um, where we just go in and we say, hey, if, uh, if you don't have this token, then, you know, don't, like, don't fail, don't complain. Um, but make sure that all of the appropriate data types are created so that the query just comes back empty. So that way you can see the page. And then if I wanted to go a step further, we could theoretically say like, you know, add this environment variable and we'll, we'll load dummy data. Got it. Um, and then we could use something like faker or something similar to generate kind of like mock entries. Um, we, we didn't do that because we don't really have a, we haven't really run into issues where people desperately need like completely offline development access. Um, but I do see that as being something that's probably worth like, it's something that's definitely possible. We just haven't had the need to build it yet. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's cool too, because I guess with the, um, with Gatsby's data layer, just being GraphQL, no matter what, it doesn't really change anything from, your perspective as the person building out the pages, like you're not writing different code because of the fact that you're using like the mocked data than using like the API. It's just a matter of sort of swapping those two out sort of behind the GraphQL layer, depending on if you're actually deploying to production or if you need to be able to work without network access for whatever reason. Exactly. And the, the whole goal for all of this is like, we, we don't really want you as the developer to have to think about, even what the data source is, you know, like um, we're one of the things that the schema customization unlocks that we're really excited about. Uh, probably, probably it'll be a few months before this starts to materialize in any like tangible way. But we want to get to this concept of like generic data types. Um, so if we create like a generic content model for let's say blog posts, and we know that like every post is going to have a title, an author, a date, and a, and content then we can kind of let people build against this generic type and behind the scenes, we can do something like low, you know, abstract a, a WordPress post into this generic type. So it just loads in, or we could then take um, mock data and load that in, or we could swap out the backend entirely and use like Postgres and have a, like a Postgres database that's pulling these posts in. Um, so it doesn't really matter where the data comes from. And with these data abstractions, we're hoping that it, it becomes almost entirely invisible to the people writing the front ends because they shouldn't have to care where the data comes from. That should be like the, you know, whatever team manages that data, they should be able to use whatever they want and not really need to tell anybody who's building the front end. As long as they agree to a contract, the data will be in this shape and therefore you can build against that shape with, with confidence. 
Yeah, very cool. Um, so I think um, the next topic that would be kind of interesting to get into that you, you sort of touched on uh, a few times, but it'd be cool to get into deeper is one of Gatsby's big selling points, as far as I understand it, is that it's like super fast and the performance is, is really awesome. And uh, I think you guys do a bunch of interesting little things to sort of make the apps feel faster, you know, beyond just like making the JavaScript bundle small and stuff like that. So I'd be curious to know, like, what sort of things is Gatsby doing to try and make like performance and perceived performance just be as, as good as possible? So, I mean, the, to, to kind of repeat what you said, the, the first thing is just making sure that the bundles are tuned. So we make sure that we're doing the right tree shaking and code splitting so that you're only sending down assets that people are actually going to use. Um, we also have a way to, uh, you can use what's called Gatsby image that will um, allow you to load your images again into our, our GraphQL data layer. And as part of that, we will convert them into multiple resolutions and sizes so that we can then display um, using a source set so that you only load an image that's as big as you need for the resolution required on the device. Um, we also do like prefetching of links and other assets. So if you're on the home page, then we'll use an intersection observer to look at the links that are visible on the page and silently prefetch those in the background. Um, and we only do that if you're on like a high bandwidth connection. We check to see if you're on a like a low data or if you've turned on data saver in Chrome or something like that, we, we disable it. Um, but if you are, uh, yeah, if you're on a, a high bandwidth connection, we'll look at, we'll look at the nav for example and say, okay, so the nav has an about and a contact page. Let's prefetch those so that if you click on it, it's already loaded. So it's an instant reload. It goes right to the next page. Um, because we rehydrate into a react app, there's no page refresh in between links. They, they instantly load it's cause it's just a react component like unmounting and remounting. So that way you're able to, um, to get like an app, like native feel where you move between things. Um, we do the inlining of various assets. So we inline critical CSS, uh, we inline stuff into the head to make sure that you're not doing unnecessary network requests. We are configured to be, uh, compatible with the purple pattern. So if you want to do uh, the purple pattern is something that Adi Osmani, I believe coined it's, um, stands for, oh, I'm not going to get this right. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not even going to attempt it, but um, it has things like, you know, you're using HTTP to push you, the prefetching that I just talked about. You want to make sure that you are giving people the ability to, um, you know, like just, it's a lot of little performance tweaks to make sure that you're giving the best possible experience to people. Um, so those are, those are kind of like the big ones that we do uh, is just trying to make sure that like you're not downloading anything you shouldn't be downloading in the background. We're getting ahead of you so that, you know, anything that you want should already be there. Um, we lazy load our images so that you're, you know, you're not blocking page renders. Um, we generate like image previews so that you're, you're not getting like content jank as images are loading in. Um, and all of that just comes out of the box. You just have to like, you just have to use the, the components to make that work. Nice. Um, so, you know, again, like we're trying to make the right thing, the easy thing, the performance should happen by default. It shouldn't be something that you have to opt into or install plugins to handle or write yourself. 
Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Cloudinary. So if I had to describe Cloudinary myself, it's basically just the best way to store and serve images that I've ever seen. In the past, I used to use generic storage services like Amazon S3 to store and serve images, uh, but after switching to Cloudinary, I genuinely cannot believe I ever did this stuff any other way. Uh, So here's one example of how Cloudinary has made my life easier. Uh, So you probably know that typically images are the heaviest resource your users have to download when they visit your site, right? Usually way more than your JavaScript or CSS. So in the past, I would spend a lot of time tweaking settings and tools like Image Alpha and Image Optim to try and optimize my image files so they weren't as large. Uh, With Cloudinary, I can just upload the full resolution file without even really thinking about it. And then by just adding a parameter to the image URL that I get back, uh, when I go to serve it on my site, Cloudinary will automatically optimize that image as best as it can, usually resulting in file sizes that are actually lower than what I was seeing when trying to optimize the images by hand. Uh, This is even more useful for like user uploaded images because instead of trying to do some fancy automatic image optimization in a background job on my own server or something, I can just send those images directly to Cloudinary from the browser, request the optimized version back by adding that URL parameter, and bam, I've got an optimized image at a really small file size. Uh, So there's an enormous amount of other cool stuff that you can do through the URL-based API. That's really just scratching the surface, but you can do stuff like request images at different sizes so you can serve smaller images on mobile devices so you're not wasting bandwidth. Uh, You can crop images to different dimensions. You can crop images using face detection, so just crop to the faces in an image. Uh, You can automatically add watermarks or text overlays or tons of different effects and stuff like that. It's a seriously impressive service. So Cloudinary has an amazing free plan where you can store 300,000 images and videos. Yeah, did I mention you can do all this crazy stuff, not just with images, but also with videos too. Uh, You get 10 gigabytes of storage and 20 gigabytes of monthly bandwidth on this free plan Uh, so if you're not already using them definitely head over to cloudinary.com and check it out it really is one of my absolute favorite services that i use on my own projects thanks a ton to cloudinary for sponsoring this episode back to the show you you kind of just briefly mentioned the idea of like generating image previews for it do you mean like at build time you're able to sort of see like well this is the dimensions that this image is rendering at and we're just going to generate like a placeholder that should be shown until that image is loaded like how does that work yeah so let's say for example you've got um a blog post and that blog comes with an image that is like 100 percent of the width of the container and that let's say that you know by default you are maybe uploading a 3000 pixel wide image to to fill that space and it's about like 1.2 megabytes or something Um, that's fine on your giant 4k display because that's what you need if you want a high resolution image on a 4k display. But if you're on a mobile device, downloading 1.2 megabytes of images is kind of ridiculous, especially when it's going to display at like 300 pixels wide. So, um, what we do is we will load through our file system, uh, plugin. We'll just pull in any images and put them into our GraphQL data layer. And then we use under the hood, we use sharp, which is an open source library for image manipulation. And we say, all right, the biggest this image is going to display in like actual pixels on the screen is let's say 600 pixels. That's where you you've constrained your content uh, window. And so based on that, knowing that 600 pixels is the widest it's going to go, let's create the smallest version, which will be like a hundred pixels wide. And then progressively build like bigger and bigger 
images up until we get to, I think like 1800 pixels for a three X density. And then we include the, the original as an option if you go like way bigger. Um, so then under the hood, the GraphQL query is going to give you back, uh, a like base 64 encoded 30 pixel wide image is the default setting that gets inlined into the image source as a placeholder. And that's where um, you get that like a, really like blurry version of the image, right? Like the browser just exactly. has sort of like blurring algorithm that kind of. Exactly. And then we, um, we lazy load the full resolution that's right for your screen. Well, actually the browser does that because source set already knows how to choose the right resolution. Once we've, once we've loaded it in, we just fade in the, the full resolution image. So you get this really nice blur up effect, um, where it starts blurry and then fades to, to full res. Um, and all of that just it, like, it just works. You know, you you do a standard Gatsby GraphQL query for an image, and then we do all the processing under the hood at build time. And you get this like fantastic user experience that looks really nice without any changes. Um, it also gives you control. Like you can, you can make your images duotone or grayscale, or you can like turn them into the, one of the options for placeholders is traced SVG where sharp will go in and find the edges of the image and create like a two tone vector image that, uh, that's like a silhouette. It's really cool stuff. And all of that is just, like, it's just a setting. You're just like, Oh, I want to use that. Oh, let me use that. It's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting. Um, there's like this, in my head, I sort of picture Gatsby as sort of in some ways being like, um, there's so much you can configure and like, there's so much you can do with like GraphQL and react. And it's like, it's like all this technology to like build like a, a simple static site, which is not what a lot of people are build, building with Gatsby. But then at the same time, it's like, well, because everything works that way, like look at how much easier we can make all these things that are like normally so hard to do hard to the point that you just probably never do them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And now they just sort of happen magically by default, which is, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we try to think of it as like, you know, it, you can do a side by side comparison of a Gatsby site. Like if you, so if you take a Gatsby site and you turn off JavaScript and then you navigate around it, and then you go side by side with that same site with Gatsby enabled. Um, the JavaScript version actually outperforms the static HTML version, and so you know the way that we look at it is it's like yeah, it's a little more setup, but most of that setup is is abstracted away as part of like the Gatsby new command, and your end experience, like your development experience is going to be faster because we've already configured hot reloading. We've already configured the code splitting and everything. You're not going to have to touch Webpack or Babel or any of that at all. It just works. And then the end experience for your, your users, like the people who actually load the website is also going to be better, even for the really, really simple websites. So, um, you know, unless you're like really ready to dig in and do a ton of manual performance tuning, a Gatsby website is almost assuredly going to beat anything else out of the box. Um, and you're going to be able to build it faster and it's going to be a little more fun. So from my standpoint, it's like, we just, we just want to make it so that you don't have to think about that stuff anymore. We kind of see this as like, it's like using a, um, it's like using a, a, you know, windows or, or mac os versus going back to dos like sure dos like did all the same things but it was harder and so putting like a visual layer on top of it to do operating system stuff just eliminated all of these kind of building blocks that are important but 
honestly, 90% of the stuff that you want to do matches up with what everybody else is doing. So if you just kind of are willing to accept like what the, the industry or the community has accepted as, as like best practices, you get to eliminate a ton of busy work from your day and like instead focus on creating things that you want to create. Totally. Yeah. I think like the really exciting idea there is that, um, you know, these, these Gatsby react powered, like single page apps, you know, essentially actually outperform like the static HTML where you're just getting the full HTML from the server every single time. I think a lot of people sort of assume, and I was guilty of this myself too. And still until I started messing around with a couple of different Gatsby sites, you know, sites I knew that I built that were built with Gatsby. I always just kind of assumed like, man, like why would you build like a blog as this like big crazy SPA and have to send all this JavaScript over the wire and stuff? Wouldn't it just be faster to just be serving like static HTML files from an Nginx server? And then I started just like looking at like the network tab and checking out the performance and stuff. And I was like, man, like this is actually like serving, you know, less bytes over the wire than like any of these WordPress sites that I look at. Everything is like crazy fast. And like, I can, I can understand why your gut reaction might be to think like, why would you build an SPA for something this simple? But like, it's, it's actually better for the user and faster, which is the thing that you are assuming is not true and actually ends up being true, which is, I don't know. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. That, that was a lot of what attracted me to Gatsby was the fact that like, it's, it's a little counterintuitive, but ultimately we're, we're making it, we're making it possible for somebody who isn't a web expert to deliver a like web expert level performance and user experience. Yeah. Very cool. So I think the last topic that I'd like to get into is, um, I've seen, um, people using Gatsby lately starting to talk a lot about um, Gatsby themes, which I guess is like a big new Mm -hmm. sort of thing that, um, you know, just kind of was recently announced and I don't know a ton about it, but from what I do know about it, it sounds like themes in Gatsby are a lot more powerful than what you might think of themes as being in, you know, a WordPress or a sort of Drupal ecosystem. Um, so what are Gatsby themes all about? So Gatsby themes are in the simplest, like the most simplified way of describing them. They are pre bundled plugins. So like every Gatsby site is um, kind of built off of a Gatsby config and that, that Gatsby config will say, I want to use the, the file system source. I want to use the WordPress source. I'm going to install this like markdown processor and I want to use like emotion for doing styles with CSS and JS and all those kinds of things. And once you've configured all of that, you are able to just kind of write markdown files. And then during build, we'll pick that up and we'll style it properly and put it in the right place. Um, a theme is like a pre-packaged Gatsby site that can be installed in another Gatsby site as a, as a layer. And so that means that if you wanted like a simple blog, instead of having to follow a, a process of installing like three plugins to get that simple blog, you'll instead be able to say, you know, I want a new site. My new site is a Gatsby config file that says use the theme Gatsby theme blog. And then I'm going to create a folder called posts and enter my first post. And that's it. There's no other code on the site because it's all packaged up and pre-configured. Um, so that's, that's kind of like the, the core concept but what this unlocks that's really, really powerful is that these themes are composable. So if I make a theme for a blog and then later I want to extend that 
and I want to also add like, or let's say, you know, for a simple use case, I want to change colors, then I can build a, uh, a child theme. And if you if you use WordPress, this could feel familiar. Um, you set up a child theme and I override some colors and that's cool. It, it's perfect. Um, but then let's say I want to change the way the post previews work. So we introduced this concept called component shadowing, where I can define a new like post preview component that lives in the child theme, but it'll get all the props that are passed to it in the parent theme. So it so, just kind of gets picked up instead of the parent theme one, just kind of replaces exactly. it. Exactly. And we do that through like a folder structure thing. So you create a, a source folder and then inside of that, you create a folder named after the parent theme. And then anything inside of that will just directly map to the source folder of the parent theme. So if you've got like source components preview, you would create in your, your child theme source Gatsby theme, parent theme slash component slash preview. And that would allow you to just directly override that component. Um, we call that component shadowing. It's, it's a little difficult to explain in the abstract, but like once you see it work, it's like, holy crap, this is amazing. Um, and then the, the other thing that's really exciting about this is that themes are horizontally composable as well. So you can stack them and have like a blog and then like override a specific component in that blog. But I can also just install two themes. Like I can install a blog theme and an e-commerce theme. And so now I don't have to find one theme that meets all of my needs. I have lots of small themes that solve one need very well. And then I compose them together as needed and then add a child theme to override some style tokens so that they all look right. So and how do you prevent really, those sorts really of things from like move. conflicting in any way? Um, it's still early days. So we have to just let the community try this stuff and see, um, the way that we're doing it by default is that as long as the theme names are discrete, um, they, because they're composable, if they both set the same option, the last one set would win. Okay. Um, and what we're hoping will happen is that over time we'll start to solidify on some, some base kind of theme authors should do things like this to ensure that sure, things like what sort of properly. options you should expose and th things, you, considerations you should take into account to make sure that your exactly. theme composes well with other themes. Yeah. Um, and so this is where like anything experimental gets a little bit like weird because we don't want to make rules until we've seen how people use it, but then people are kind of hesitant to use it until there are rules. So we're trying to find the right balance of like providing guidance and also just, you know, responding to what happens as people use it. Um, but you know, we've got a really strong group of, of people in the community who are like early adopters on this. Like the Apollo team has already pushed out a few sites using themes. They're super cool. We, uh, we had Trevor blades from, from their team come on and talk about that on one of our webinars. Just really cool to see like how quickly they were able to churn things out as they were working on a, an overhaul of the Apollo docs. Um, and, you know, just kind of using them in, in personal projects, um, seeing the way that you can take kind of contextually grouped ideas and drop them into a single package so that I could, I know what context I'm working in whenever I open up a file instead of having to figure out, okay, well this plugin goes with that thing and this file goes with that thing. It's like, oh no, this theme is for the blog. Anything in this code base is about the blog. So I can, you know, comfortably move between it. And that's going to be really helpful as any, any app grows in complexity. Awesome. So I think that's actually all the, all the questions that I have about Gatsby. Um, is there anything else, I guess, before we start wrapping up 
Uh, anything ex- that you think is really exciting or awesome about Gatsby that we haven't touched on that you'd like to kind of share with people? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the the thing that I find most exciting about Gatsby is its community. Um, there is this incredible collection of people out working on Gatsby sites, um, teaching each other, talking about Gatsby, like giving conference talks and workshops and writing blog posts. Um, and all of them are just like, they're just showing up, like they're just excited and they just want to be part of things. And I've never seen a community like that. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's so cool to be in that type of community. Um, and what I love about it is that like the community seems to really be rallying around this idea of like, uh, we we've codified it as a, as a company core value of it's you belong here, right? So anybody, whether you're an absolute beginner, whether you're a seasoned vet, like you belong in open source and, and you should be a part of this community and everybody's really rallied around this idea. So when somebody shows up and they've got a question, everybody's nice. Everybody is like being kind and they're helpful. They're not assuming that you should know something. We never get people, you know, responding with like read the manual or, or like closing a PR and saying, Oh, you're wrong. It's very welcoming. It's very supportive. You know, people are always posting like deeper links to, to help find something, you know, I, and I really, I don't think it's, I don't think it's unique in, in being like this, but I think that it's very, um, notably different from some of the communities that I've been in as a developer. And, and I really, really like that. I, I love that, you know, I'm as a DevRel, I'm not having to patch over behavior that I don't agree with. Um, I just get to amplify the behavior that I love about our community. Um, and the community holds us to a really high standard and I get to, I get to hold myself and, and my team to a high standard. And it's a, it's a good virtuous cycle. Like we expect the community to do well. The community expects us, expects us to do well. And that behavior gets mirrored and it's, it's really, really good. Awesome. Well, I think that's probably the perfect, perfect place to, uh, to finish up on, to get people excited about kind of getting their toes wet and gaspy and not being intimidated and feeling like, uh, you know, it's a tool that they can dive right into and get any of the help that they need to kind of get up and running and, uh, you know, be successful with it. So, um, thanks so much for giving me your time and coming on the podcast. Are there what's the best way for sort of people to keep up with you and like the latest about Gatsby and you know, anything else people should be paying attention to if they're excited about Gatsby. It's a good idea to follow Gatsby on Twitter. We share a lot of, a lot of stuff gets shared there first. So it's a good way to see what the new features are. Um, you can follow me on Twitter as well at uh, Jay Langsdorf. I also have a weekly live stream where I go on Twitch and I build something with somebody from the community um, anything from like building state machines with David Korshid to, uh, this week I'm going to get on with the Algolia team and add site search to a, a Gatsby blog. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's at twitch.tv slash Jay Langsdorf. Um, otherwise, yeah, just, you know, send us, send us messages on, on Twitter. You can email us if you want. I, I don't know. I'd prefer you didn't, but, <laughs> <laughs> but we're happy to get them if you, if you do prefer email. Um, and yeah, just reach out to our team. GitHub's another good place. Just tag us in an issue and ask a question. We'd love to, we'd love to hear from you and work with you. Awesome, man. Well, thanks again. It's been a, an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Yeah, thanks, Adam. I appreciate the invite. So there you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jason about Gatsby. If you're interested in show notes for this episode, they can be found at fullstackradio.com slash 115. Thanks to DigitalOcean and Cloudinary for sponsoring the podcast this week, and we'll see you next time.